Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thanks for joining us for our MotorWeek podcast number 24. I am John Davis, and joining me for this bull session, our road test producer, Brian Robinson. Hello. Our writer, Shamit Choksi. Hey, John. And associate producer and no relation, Ben Davis. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, coming up, we'll have our lightning round, and we'll also look at our MotorWeek mailbag. But first, let's get down to some new hardware. Okay, everybody chime in on this one. We've now gone through two, and we're on our third 2010 Chevrolet Camaro. We've done the six, we've done the eight, and we've got a special SLP conversion coming up. What do you think of the car? Ben, go ahead. You look like you're bursting at the mic. <laughs> I tell you, we have been through this many Camaros, and they're starting to grow on me. I wasn't. I, I liked the car from the get-go. It was a beautiful car from the outside. But initially, I had some uh, qualms, if you will, about uh, interior ingredients. Not necessarily the styling, but I thought the ingredients could use a, a so helping the, hand. Some of the plastics didn't look as good as they did in the concept cars by a, a long stretch. That's a good way to put it. Some things were a little too shiny, maybe a little too textured, but... It is growing on me, I must say. Um, it's a comfortable car to drive, and uh, those little issues I had are, are going away as I'm more. F- I, I, the, the recent one we have in is an all black interior, which we hadn't had before in the previous two, and it looks miles better. Than the, the SS gray. is awesome. It is. And this SLP that we just took delivery on with, uh, what, 575 yeah, horsepower? That looks sorry. like it's going to. It's outrageous. Yeah, outrageous. Really? <laughs> Brian, how about you? Yeah, the Camaro, I definitely love the style of it, and I definitely love the uh, V8, uh, like 420 horsepower of the V8. Um, we had it at the track, and it's uh, you know it's a big improvement over the 6. It, uh, to me, though, it, it didn't feel as strong as 420 would make you mm-hmm. feel. I mean, it, You it, said that same thing about the 6. You didn't think it felt like 300 horsepower yeah, either. I don't know if it's just because the car's so big and heavy, and it just doesn't feel like it's going that fast, but... I mean, I know in a vet, you know, when you nail that thing, you feel the acceleration. Uh, you know, I can't say I felt it so much in the on the Camaro. I think it, it was all we could do to get it down to mid-12s, I guess, in a quarter mile. But it definitely made it down there eventually. Yeah, it was fun. And, it was now, fun the SLP trying. we've got, we actually have some racing slicks on that. That's supposed to be a 3.5 second 0 to 60 car. I've forgotten what the quarter mile is, but you can extrapolate yeah, from that. to keep all hands and arms inside yeah. that vehicle. I drove it out on a country road <laughs> yesterday, and it was just uh, it's daunting. You know, one of the things that, that got a lot of folks that are younger than I am when this Camaro is the fact they didn't like the short side glass. They felt the interior was very claustrophobic, and I've read that repeatedly from other folks who have tested the car. But if you go back and look at the original car and live with it like I did, that's pretty much the way it was. And that seems to be pretty common in all the styling now. We're getting less and less side glass and pretty and, much all cars coming And up. I'm not sure that consumers like that, to tell you the truth. I mean, everybody wants to be able to see what's around because traffic's moving so fast. But that being said, I, I love the Camaro. I think As it's a I. pretty sweet, sweet uh, addition. Okay, let's move on to something entirely different. Um, diesels are our mainstay in Europe, have been a long time. 
and over there you don't really see any uh, sport utility vehicles uh, without a diesel. BMW, though, uh, is noted for their performance, and they also have embraced diesels. And so far, we've really not seen performance diesels in the U.S. until now. The 2010 BMW 335D sedan and their new X5 335D uh, utility, their sports activity vehicle. Okay, same engine in both, two different applications. Does it keep the BMW performance image intact? Who wants to start? Absolutely. It it does. It absolutely does. I mean, first of all, I like both of these cars in non-diesel form. So I just think this makes, the diesel powertrain makes both of these better. Torquier off the line, more performance. They're cleaner if you're into the green thing. And 30% better fuel economy. It really is. The, the 335s, 31, we got 31 miles to the gallon. Mm-hmm. The X5, 27, which... It's pretty. It's, it's good for a heavy SUV these definitely. days. So I, I'm impressed with both of them. Uh, they are both costly, though. That's the uh, uh, base stickers are, are significantly more than the gas. And so. they're also, you're right now with diesel prices low, that's okay. But if they go back to a big premium, uh, like may, most people expense, then, then that's another shot in the yep. arm. Anybody else on the yeah, diesel? The 3 Series at the track, I mean, I, I enjoyed it even more than the gas 3 Series. I mean, with all that torque, the thing just took off the line. It even felt faster than what it was. You and didn't the, care that it was a diesel, did you? Not at all. And it didn't feel like uh, some diesels where uh, they only revved to three or 4,000 miles. You're, like, constantly shifting. And uh, this thing, it revs almost just like a regular gas engine. It was very entertaining, very fast. How about you, Ben? It's good to see that us as Americans can finally get something. Not that the Jetta TDI is a bad car. I love the car. But it's good to see that we have another alternative, a step up from a Jetta TDI, without having to get into a luxury sport ute to, to drive a diesel. Do you think that BMW has maintained its special role as a performance icon and put the, you know, by putting the diesels in, has that damaged that at all? I think it's a total fit. I think one of the questions we put out there was, does is efficient dynamics and the whole diesel thing fit together. And I think, um, you know, from what we saw, it's a, it's a perfect match. I just wish they could get diesel prices a little more reasonable. But they, I know right now they're giving some money back on them, so it's not a bad buy at the moment. Okay, let's move on to a performance car of a totally different color. Um, Jaguar's newest model uh, in production is the XF midsize sedan. And uh, generally, it's gotten good reviews, although a number of people, including a lot of our staff at MotorWeek, uh, found some of the quirkiness of the car not to their liking. But now they've come out with the XFR version, the R version of the XF. Now, this is interesting timing because this is the first new model launched since Tata Motors uh, bought Jaguar and Land Rover from Ford. And a lot of people were wondering whether or not the performance equation of Jaguar being gorgeous but insanely fast was going to continue. And that's the question the XFR tries to answer. Did they get it right? Ben? I think they did. They're definitely ready to hold a a true place next to AMG, M Division, and uh, big-ticket Audi Quantros for sure. The only downfall I had with the car... It sounds amazing from the outside, and when we had it up at the track testing and Brian was was driving it, I was standing trackside, and it sounded amazing, like a symphony. But when you get inside that car and mash the pedal, it, it's a little too quiet for me. Is the, So you didn't really f- hear the supercharger at all? 
No, you don't hear it from at all from from inside. From but, inside uh, the car. From the yeah. outside, it's a uh, totally different car. Yeah, no supercharger whining. Yeah, I, I found the same thing. I thought it felt almost like a cocoon inside, and that's one of my. That would be one complaint that maybe they've isolated the driver too much because when you get an AMG or an M M car uh, from BMW. It's not that they've stripped anything out, but that you really know that the car is performing. You know, you feel every nuance of the car, and you felt a little isolated in the, well, I in think the that's XFR. I think that's what's unique about the Jag is you get in and you drive it, and you can drive it every day, and it feels like a totally normal Jaguar. You have no idea of the performance. But then when you start to push push the thing, man, it just holds up and handles and, and keeps asking for more. You can keep pushing it, and it keeps delivering. So, you know, it's definitely more of a good everyday car. I don't know of any super high-performance sedan, and this is a Jaguar tradition, that handles as well as a Jaguar, that rides as nicely as a Jaguar. I mean, that's a, an unusual combination. Yeah, even the powertrain itself, it just feels smooth. It never feels rough or aggressive and handling. Pretty close to neutral. I mean, with any throttle inputs at all in the corners, you could definitely uh, get the rear out. But, uh, you know, taking it easy, handle pretty neutrally. I know that XJ V8 now is, is certainly not a new engine anymore, but they keep getting more and more performance out of it. Uh, all right, I have to ask you, though, the, the rotary dial gear shift. Now, that replaced the uh, unlimited uh, uh, J-shifter, which was called the Randall handle after the guy that designed it. <laughs> awesome. You know, the this uh, rotary shifter that rises out of the dash like a cake rising in the oven, and then you turn it. I, kind of, I like it because it's eclectic, but... What do you think? Yeah, I don't like it. It just doesn't fit with the the performance, uh, just the performance of the car. There are paddle shifters. Though. There yeah, are. I yeah, like that's. It. I think it's unique and it works well. And, and you know, if you want to shift manually, you got the paddle shifters. Ben, you get the last one. I love it. I I don't know if it's true or not, but um, I just drove recently an XF that wasn't the R package, and the XFR pops out of the dash faster when you hit the key. I to me, I think it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe is it that does. true? I don't know. I don't know. That's pretty cool though. <laughs> and if you get a chance to see the road test, there's some killer burnouts. Definitely check that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's turn now to um, our um, question of the week, and each uh, each of you get a little bit of time here to to weigh in. And this is a I've been asked this question by a, a lot of consumers. Uh, General Motors has just launched their new marketing push, and one of the things that they're they're doing is saying basically, if you can find a better car, buy it. You know, the old, pretty much the old Chrysler stick with a different twist. But they've added an incentive program that is um, interesting. It's GM's money back guarantee program. Now, let me explain how this works for folks that haven't looked at it yet. Basically, any GM vehicle, I'm talking about, this is Cadillac, Chevrolet, uh, Buick, GMC, the, the four core divisions. If you buy it, you get 60 days to bring it back as long as you haven't gone over 4,000 miles and haven't wrecked it, of course. Now, you have to keep it for 30 days. You can't drive around a block and bring it back. But the 31st through 60th day, you can bring it back, get all your money back, no harm to your credit, and walk away from it. They're betting you won't. Is it an incentive? Is it revolutionary? Is it a gimmick? Do you think it'll work? Who would like to weigh in? I don't think it's really revolutionary. I mean, a lot of things have, you know, limited money-back guarantees. I think it's a good thing. I mean, it gets people in the cars. Maybe they're not, you know, that wouldn't have before because they were a little afraid, but gets them in the car. And 
you know, it's anytime you get in a brand new car, if you just trade in your 1998, whatever, you get into a brand new Cobalt or CTS or something, you're going to love it. I mean, I, you know, it's going to take months before you start noticing things you don't like about it. So, so at least they're giving you, you know, four weeks to figure out whether or not you truly like it, and then basically, but you've got a pretty leisurely amount of time to bring it back. Buyer's remorse usually doesn't set in for a while. Ryan's <laughs> right about that, but uh, I think there there is a gimmick aspect to it. All this, any marketing push like this is gimmicky, but. At the same time, anything like this that instills buyer confidence, which we need right now more than anything, um, I think it's a move in the right direction. Ben? I think it's bold, and it uh, it demands attention. And I think GM now has product that can back it up as well. So It's I- not just, uh, well, you look at the... Uh, uh, well, the Traverse, the the Equinox, uh, the new terrain from GMC, the Malibu, of course, and ben, the Camaro. Ben's a huge we talked fan about. of the terrain. He won't stop talking. I, I about talk it. Equinox it's, and terrain every it's day. It's terrific. They're terrific vehicles. I'll give you my quick take on it. Uh, they've done guarantee programs before, but usually they've only been like a week. You had to bring bring it back. So I think this is a big expansion. After the uh, cash for clunkers, nobody out there did anything to keep the momentum of the market going. And at least GM has tried to come up with something creative and innovative to do it. My understanding is that probably a lot of people won't take the guarantee. There's like money back if otherwise. It's like, I don't know if it's 500 bucks or something. But the idea is you've got your choice, and they might be lured in by the guarantee, but actually take the money off because they know they're going to like the car. I think it gets more people in the showroom. I agree with Ben. And it's it's basically filling a void where all the rest of the car companies for a couple of weeks now have been sitting on the sidelines. And, and no wonder September sales went into the toilet. Nobody was really trying. Okay, um, moving on, let's head to our Motor Week mailbag. And by the way, If you've got a question that you'd like to have answered on our podcast, you can visit us online at motorweek.org, and you can submit your questions there. And if you're chosen, are you everybody ready? You will receive a free MotorWeek T-shirt. No, no, no yells and screeches. Today. Well, we are, I'm disappointed. All you're all you're all screeched <laughs> out. Okay, well that uh, is the case with Christopher in Cumberland, Rhode Island. He asked, it's a very good question. You guys at Motor Week have tested many types of cars through the years. What I would like to know is, after all that experience, what vehicles have you put your money on and why? Uh, wow. That's a good one for you, John. Yeah. <laughs> You're implying that most of us can afford new vehicles. <laughs> now, Shamit, I know you, you've got something relatively new. I'll get to uh, you in a minute. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, you're referring to the Volvo yeah. XC90. Uh, main reason... Uh, no, that's their biggest SUV, that's or their biggest, biggest crossover, SUV. if you please. Uh, primary reason for purchasing it is, uh, for me, was safety. Uh, family, it's the, the car that we cart the family around in, and so we wanted to get the the most capable, the safest vehicle that, that we thought was out there. And that's but now it. that you own it, what do you think about driving it? Um, I, I'm impressed. I mean, it's, it's a bank vault on wheels. I mean, you feel... You feel exactly what you want in this thing. You feel comfortable and safe. And, uh, you know, when I'm not driving it and when I know the kids are in it, I'm more, I feel more secure. Now, Brian Robinson, yeah. you've got a Toyota. Uh, you my daily driver, 2000 Toyota Celica GTS. Uh, which, by the way, I have to say, looks brand new. <laughs> well, the only reason is as basically it was my wife's car, and we bought her a new one, so that's why I have that now. What would you buy but, your wife? Uh, I love it. It's uh, the wife. We bought a Kia Sorento. Okay, why'd you buy that? Because uh, it was a 
still a truck uh, SUV, still mm-hmm. a truck-based frame SUV. Uh, it could tow a lot, and uh, it was cheap. And it was cheap. <laughs> but back to the Toyota. I love the I love the Celica. Uh, you know, it's fun to drive. It's small, good on gas. Can uh, engine revs like nine thousand RPM, so you can go out and have fun with it. Now I know Ben doesn't have a new car, but Ben is our classic car champ. He manages <laughs> to find these. Five hundred dollar gems, like nobody I've ever seen. How do you do that? Five hundred dollar gems are just running my blood, and they're always big fun. Uh, my fiance just recently purchased a four door uh, uh, Wrangler, though. Oh, really? Yeah. The that I love those. And that's a lot of fun. Did you? Were you influential in that purchase? Um, well, I, I picked up that ninety nine Wrangler, and she was a big fan of that. But uh, I thought she was going to get a Liberty. Honestly, in the last minute, she pulled a Wrangler out. But if I were to get a new car. <laughs> I would be probably get Focus or wait for the new Focus to come out. The uh, the which looks very interesting. It looks like a, a a really slick small car. Okay, well my um, uh, our family has uh, has three vehicles. Uh, we've got a. Um, uh, 2004 Ford Ranger, and we bought that because uh, we wanted to pick up truck around the household, but we didn't want something really big. And I frankly didn't like the uh, compact trucks growing into midsize. We wanted something that was manageable to park and to use every day, and I don't need a full-size bed. So that works out very well. Uh, like Shamit, uh, we have a, a Volvo in our family. It's an older one. It's a 99 uh, Volvo cross-country wagon that my wife uses. And then um, we have a Mini Cooper. Uh, which goes back to 2001. And actually, we have a fourth vehicle, and I don't consider owning it because it's a lease, but we have a Buick Enclave. And uh, that vehicle was uh, the reason we purchased that is we have big dogs and we travel a lot and we needed the space. And uh, we picked the Enclave because uh, I'm very impressed with that whole line of uh, uh, GM uh, crossover utilities like the Acadia and the Traverse from Chevrolet. And uh, we got a great deal on the Enclave, so we're very happy with it. And we get about 22 miles to the gallon, which is very good for essentially a Tahoe-size Tahoe uh, uh, vehicle. Except for the Mini Cooper, they're all white, right? I know you like white. Yeah, the Mini Cooper's blue with a white top, mm-hmm. but you're right. It's just funny when we, we pick out colors, obviously, in our household. My wife uh, uh, pulls a lot of weight, and she looks at all the colors, and she says, I just don't like those. Let's get white. So we do. We get white. <laughs> You know, which is great until it snows, and <laughs> then you disappear. Okay, I guess that pretty much wraps it up. We're, uh, we've had a great uh, Motory podcast today. I do want to thank all the folks behind the scenes that uh, help us put these on. Uh, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and our producer, Michelle Parker. My thanks to Brian Robinson, Shimi Choksi, and Ben Davis, and to all of you for joining us. And stay tuned for more Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station. 